Good morning. Looks like the sun's out, right? We have, uh, I'm sure, a lot of live viewers this morning uh, watching from uh, their cabins or whatnot. I think the live stream was down this morning, so we've had some people show up and complain. I just said, that's God or the Holy Spirit. <laughs> of course, I told Danny, shut it off this morning, see what happens. No. Um, anyway. Hey, it's good to be together. Uh, I'm excited next week I'll talk a little bit about my study break. Um, I won't spend much time talking about that this morning. But we finished our series, this 10 series, and it's been a great series, I think, from just a, a teacher's standpoint, uh, as it really pushes us in to learn so much more about books uh, and letters of the Bible. But hopefully it's been inspirational. That's been one of our keys uh, takeaways that you would be inspired to pick it up and and we remove some of the intimidation that the Bible can have because I, I would say that most of us as we look at the Bible if we just take it you know we take one of those white Bibles off of the carts and start to read there's a lot of mystery there's a lot of uh, I would say it needs another it needs some commentary right why did this happen where did this happen so just know in the kiosks out there, there's someone at a uh, kiosk with sample Bibles that we would recommend. Because really at the end of this, I would hope, we would hope, that you begin to look at your Bible. So I want to talk this morning about the last part. It's the, it's the section uh, about our Bibles. There's Revelation, it's the end part, and then there's two other books that get thrown in there. is Hebrews and Philemon. But before I do that... I just kind of review the New Testament as we've gone through it. We had the Gospels. We had, as Tricia did, the book of Acts. Then I did some of the letters, uh, Paul's letters to churches. And then Bobby did some of the letters. And, and now we kind of uh, land ourselves to the last books that we have. And really it's, it's, it's uh, Hebrews, Philemon, and Revelation. And they don't really fit really well. Uh, together, In fact, they, Hebrews and Philemon kind of float in different parts, depending on how you break it down. But this morning, what I want to talk about is restoration. I, I came up with kind of a theme around these three of restoration. That really is the Bible. The Bible is both the story of a creator, uh, I mean ruthlessly pursuing restoration for his people. It is the story of a God that would leave a path and a way of restoration for his people. And so we're going to frame that this morning that way. Um, anybody know what this picture is? It's not a medical picture. It's not like a wart on someone's body. Um, so fascinated. I get uh, these science updates in my phone. I love like some of the newest discoveries uh, out there. And this is a galaxy called MACS0647-JD. At some point they had to say, forget it, let's not come up with a creative name, let's just start numbering these places. It's 13.3 billion light years away. And so just for grins, I said, well, what is a light year? How far is a light year? One light year equals six trillion miles. Come on, anybody impressed? I mean, this is amazing 
that a telescope would be able to find that. Now, I think it's interesting when we think about our Bibles as telling us a story about what was and what's to come. And we get a picture here of something that gives us, I mean, that, that blurry little blob is a galaxy. We don't have really any detail. We have a dim picture of what's to come. The Bible, throughout it, says, I'm giving you a dimly lit picture, a picture of something that's to come. And as we're going to look at towards the ending of these books, we're kind of landing back into what God says is true, what he is going to fulfill through his promises. But still, it's a faint picture. Anybody know what this picture is of? What, what state this is? Anybody want to guess? Arizona. Arizona. Close. This is Mars. <laughs> this is Mars, which is probably a lot like Arizona, right? I mean, look at that. Are, is anybody impressed? We have a, there is a, a robot roaming. I don't know what it does all day except take pictures and soil samples. And this is, these, this is a compilation of this valley uh, pictures. I, I'm just fascinated by that. I mean, we don't know much else about Mars, right? We know somewhat where it's located in a galaxy. Again, our Bibles give us some basics that we know about. But there are a lot of things we don't know about God, about the future, about what's to come. But God gives us some of this about my intention is restoration. My intention is out of love that I bring restoration to my creation. And we get to see that picture. Ulysses S. Grant said it this way, hold fast to the Bible. To the, influence, uh, to the influence of this book, we are indebted for all the progress made in true civilization, and to this we must look as our guide in the future. This morning, we have this great hope that there's a God that didn't just say, up, you're on your own, figure your own way back. He says, I'm going to keep giving you these telescope-like pictures, these, these photos of what's to come. And throughout your Bible is really this beautiful story of pictures of restoration to come. And we're going to land that plane this morning. So we thought, what would be the worst color to put on a screen and write on? And it would be a red card. I think you've, you've battled. You're not, pretty, you're not even laughing at it. You're just really mad that we've every week. Um, I was going to ask whose color mine, but that's probably terrible. But I mean, you realize like some of these colors for some are just disturbing. So again, bear with us. Write a 10 on your card. How many people have a card from every week? Like I wish I had, I, I grew up with the way we'd get stars in our Bibles for memorizing. I wish I could still do that. Sunday school, I grew up that way. You'd get stickers in your Bible. Come see me, I'll find a sticker for you if you have all your cards, all right? Write a 10, um, put three boxes in a line, and then would you put Revelation and the rest, because that's a, a very spiritual way to summarize these three books. Revelation and the rest. Uh, it gives you, again, Hebrews, Philemon, and Revelation. 
Um, the past, the present, and the future. That's what we're going to look at. And these three books are kind of, one of the challenges has been in this series has been to teach these books or these letters and then somehow have a, an inspiration or some sort of challenge to them. So, you know, probably no good Bible teacher would say, hey, put Revelation, Hebrews, and Philemon together and come up with a theme. It's, it's quite challenging. So bear with me. I, I do think there's a picture of restoration in this I want to I show you. So put Hebrews in the first box. This is really the path to restoration. The Hebrew writer is going to tell us that there is a way towards restoration. Now, not to be mistaken that we can restore ourselves at all, but there is a path being laid out that has been laid out for us to be restored. Now, a couple things about the book of Hebrews. I find in my study and research about the Bible, anytime there are what I would call pages of speculative debate over we think, we think, we think, I tend to skip them. Now, I read some of them, but I, the reason I'm saying this is because there are a lot of writers writing about who they think wrote Hebrews. We don't know. Can I just summarize? We don't know. And I don't know if it matters. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. We don't know where Hebrews was written from. We do know this. Largely the setting is written to Jewish believers. It's also written to unbelievers, but largely is, is to a Jewish culture. Much of the language the Hebrew writer is going to use is around uh, Jewish language and traditions and uh, very much Old Testament. Uh, the focus is to exalt Christ. Christ as the last lamb, the last sacrifice, the one. And you see this because it is uniquely linked to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus. Now, I just, again, so when I do hand raise, don't do half raise. Because half raise tells, tells me you kind of did it. How many have read Leviticus all the way through? Look at that. They deserve a hand. You, come on, you should clap for them. Or you're not too excited for them. Okay, so Leviticus, the reason you should clap, because you've ever read Leviticus, it's, all right, we're going to talk about the burnt offering and how you need to do that, right? You need to get a bull or a lamb or a dove, you wrench the head of the dove, you tear it off, you, seriously, that is Leviticus. It's, here's what you, you sprinkle the blood, here, there, it's, you're disturbed. You're not sure why this animal slaughter is going on. Hebrews and Leviticus are, are uniquely linked. Uh, and you're going to find that there becomes a very clearer picture. Remember I said that telescope picture? Leviticus gives you a telescope idea of there's a galaxy out there. There's this idea about sacrifices. I don't quite get, but God says it's necessary for, for the sacrifice of, 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 to atone for sin, that... Uh, it needs to be, right, may be made right in God's eyes, all that. Then you see Hebrews, and he says, that is why Jesus. That is why Jesus. Uh, again, dispersed Jews. It's written to Jews that are being scattered because of persecution. Uh, it is to believers and unbelievers. It's written about between 30 and 70 A.D. So this is really the path to restoration, the book of Hebrews. A very rich book. Uh, a very thick book. What I mean by that is the, the depth of theology 
like the, the scope of what it means about who God is, what his intentions are. It, it's a very rich book. In fact, one of these days we probably need to teach through the book of Hebrews. Philemon. Philemon, the setting is Paul is writing to an actual person. His name is Philemon. Philemon, uh, the book I would just call, is a call to restoration. So not only did God write the book of Hebrews and say there's a path, a way, I'm going to describe to you, that often God has a call for us to be restored. And how does he do that? Well, he does it through his Holy Spirit, but largely through people. That is, that is why the church and how you've been created for one another is so critical. Around here, we'll talk about small groups. Friends, there's no like... Uh, secret like vault of how to do a church and and it tells us we have to have small groups the reason we talk about small groups is because we recognize in a setting where I can discuss the truth of God be honest about where I'm at with God pray about what I hope for God will do in my life that is rich and needed and we need one another any Christian that operates in isolation outside of deep relationship, what do I mean by that? It's letting ourselves be who we really are. But we're going to find in the scripture, God already knows that, but he wants us to operate with one another that way. It means we have nothing to hide. The thoughts and intentions that we might have about our darkness, what we hope for, our fears, all those things are what God calls us to be in relationship with one another. So Paul's writing to Philemon. He is going to give him a call and saying, hey, out of love, I want to call you away from this activity I think it's time to move away from. It's time to begin to move away from this. So it's a call for freedom uh, for a slave that Philemon owns, Onesimus. Now, Philemon's Paul's convert. Uh, and he actually converts Onesimus, his slave also. But Philemon has a house church that's in his home in Colossae. And he is attending that church, but he's wealthy and probably opened up his home. And a church has started in his home. And so Paul writes this. Now wait, how many people have read entirely through the book or letter of Philemon? Give yourselves a hand. It's one chapter. <laughs> it's one chapter. Pretty excited about that. It's one chapter, um, no sacrifices. It really is just a letter that Paul's saying, hey, I think it's time to, to let Onesimus have his freedom. And, and we're going to see that in a minute. So it's a call to restoration. So again, I think the theme here this morning is God leaves us a path, a way. We're going to find that uh, the scriptures do that, but the book of Hebrews does that largely. Philemon is an example of us speaking truth to one another and calling towards restoration. And we need that, friends. The last one is the book of Revelation, and this gives us a picture of the future of, of restoration. It, it is finally seeing in clarity some of what is going to happen. Now, the book of Revelation, probably one of the most controversial and, uh, I would say, fear-producing books in our Christian faith. So again, raise your hands. How many have read fully the book of Revelation? Anybody? Okay, it's a freak out book, right? Now, the beginning of it's going to be the seven letters to the churches. 
Then, at the end of it, it's going to say the ending story to what God claims he's going to do to fully restore his creation. The middle section is weird. You agree with me? Is scary. So now in Christendom, in theology, there are, have you ever heard, there's what's called pre-tribulation, right? Uh, mid, what's, it's pre, post, and mid. So mid-tribulation or post. What that means is there's these theologies that get drafted up of when is Jesus going to push the, the uh, like escape button for all of us who know him. Like when he goes, and we're transported like the Star Trek transporter beam. I always think of it that way. But you're gone. You're zapped out of this. Anybody who reads the book of Revelation kind of does this. I'd like to be pre-trib, right? I'd like to be pre-all of that mess. Uh, can I say part of the struggle I have with teaching Revelation is we don't know. I, I, we just don't know. I don't know. So and rather than sitting here telling you that flying locusts are actually Apache helicopters, right? And what they are and what country is evil and dark and who the Antichrist is and what is a woman that's pregnant riding a dragon. I mean, come on, some of the pictures there, if we were to see in a movie, we would, as Christians saying, we're not supposed to go to that movie, right? Yet it's in the Bible. Uh, I just say, you know what, what's the overarching picture? You know what it is? You see it on there. It reveals God in all his glory. It exposes the depravity and evilness of this world. We start to get a picture of the seriousness of sin and the call that God has toward holiness. And we know we can't make ourselves holy. We know that we can't earn that. We don't deserve that. We know that through many of the teachings that we've had here, but the scripture says we don't earn this, but God gives this. And we see this great story culminate in that. So it's Jesus' triumph. It's Jesus triumphing. And remember we said that his death and resurrection and, and ascension into heaven is a victory over the power of sin. And that uh, the, the penalty of sin now is paid for. But when Jesus' second return comes and you see the ending of Revelation, the presence of sin will be gone forever. For all of eternity. Presence of sin will be gone Okay, so this is Revelation. The, the sec, it's Jesus' second return. Uh, the word you just write down there is eschatology. If you hear that, it really is the study of the end times. It's the study of, of the end times, and it gives you this picture. Revelation is really uniquely connected to the book of Daniel. Anybody read Daniel before? Okay, so Daniel has tons of prophecy. All of those are very connected. The book of Revelation actually in itself quotes... Uh, many of Old Testament prophecies and, and scriptures, uh, largely because it's, it's saying these are fulfilled, these are fulfilled. Now John, the, the disciple John is writing this from an island called, island called Patmos. Patmos was actually like a prison island. Uh, if you were sent there back in that time, it was a death sentence. Paul is there and he has a vision. And he, we think, about 92 years old when he writes this letter. 
So he has this vision, obviously, of what God's giving him. So it gives you a little bit of picture. So we see Hebrews, path to restoration. Philemon, call to restoration. Revelation is future of restoration. Okay, so let's work backwards. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 3. This is Now again, one of the challenges, and I know Trisha and Bobby had mentioned the same thing, it's so hard to pick one passage, you know, and really you're getting a little bit of kind of what, what our preference is and how it hits us. For me, in the book of Revelation, there's a section of there are letters written to churches. So what do I mean by that? In the book of Revelation, there's seven letters to the churches, and they're not really nice letters. They're, they're like bad emails from God saying, your church is not doing very well. And when I say that, I'm not shaming us this morning, but I'm trying to get you into the skin so that you don't emotionally separate this. When, when these letters, like the letters that Bobby and I talked about, they weren't written to an address that had a big sign in the front of it in a campus. Write this to the church of Colossae, right? Or Laodicea. It was to a city that that letter was passed around to church house churches, and it was read that way. So raise your hand this morning. Everybody raise your hand, fully raise your hand this morning. You're here in church, right? If you're here, raise your hand. It's a trick question. Look around. You are community church. So say it. I am community. I don't know if you totally believe that, but you are. So if God was to write us a letter to Green Bay Community Church, it wouldn't be sent to this address. It would be, it would be passed around to you as you gather in homes. This is the kind of letter that we're reading, all right? The Bible is not written to an elder board or a 501c3, a business, an institution. It's people. It's you. So we say the church... That's why I laugh when people say, oh, I left this church because they were bad. Well, that just meant you were too. Because it's part of you and we like to separate. Oh, no, that's them. They make the decisions. Friends, you are part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12. We're, we, Ephesians 6. Romans 12. These are, they're all great passages around you are the church. You are the church. Buildings are not the church. You are the church. Okay, so enough of that. Revelation chapter 3, maybe one of my favorite stories in the Bible. One of them. Because I probably say that all year in different sections, but again, another favorite. Laodicea is a city in modern-day Turkey, but that's about where it's located. I think if you look it up, it's like Laod, and it's got a K instead of the C. I don't know how you even pronounce it. It's in Turkish. How's that? Um, it's by the river Lykish and, and the Meander River, which sounds like a really pleasant river, by the way, that I could relax in. So Laodicea looks like this modern-day Turkey. Um, here's a couple of pictures of that. Anybody been there, Laodicea, in Turkey? Anybody been there? Just because you, you can go to these places still. They're quite fascinating. Um, but there's a city north of it um, with Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was a city that was very wealthy, was, was in need of water sources, and so they would uh, bring in water, and I'm going to show you that in a minute. But they're also very known for their eye salve. 
that had medicinal healing properties to them. And they were also known for their beautiful linens that they would, I don't know if it was silk or linens, they were, they were famous for that, to clothe themselves, all right? So Heropolis is to the north, and it was known for their hot springs. And these are hot spring pictures modern day. Um, very big trick on the internet, try to get ones that didn't have people that were either scandalously dressed or not dressed in these hot tubs. Um, but this is a very popular place. This is a view from there is looking down. Now, uh, you could kind of see uh, how in modern day, or we don't, modern day we would just put pipes underground to bring water from some source. In this time, the Romans came up with a, very, a raised aqueduct system. And if you look on the top there, they would have been troughed out where water would have been brought uh, from certain cities and certain sources. So hot water traveling over a period would eventually become not hot, but what? Lukewarm. They also had a city uh, next to them, Colossae, and cold water. And they were trying to bring fresh water in, same process, through that aqueduct system. Now, here's the brilliance, not brilliance, like sounds like God all of a sudden got a good idea. The, the divine knowing, you know, knowledge of God this way that writes to this church. Now, again, I'm, I'm trying to put us in their shoes. I'm not sitting here this morning saying, ah, you're either hot or cold. We have a lukewarm church. I'm not shaming community church this morning. I'm trying to get you to understand this letter. And it would be like us reading this letter to us, right? Okay, does that make sense? So, Revelation chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful, true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Verse 15. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold, or cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm... Neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Again, can we just think about this for a moment? I know this is not to us this morning, but we're to read the scriptures and ask the Spirit to teach us this morning. Imagine if we're passing this letter around that came from an apostle that we know that was inspired from God, and it's... I can't imagine me reading it in, the, in my living room to a group of people. Or whether you're hot or cold, this is God. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm about to vomit. Uh, that gives us an interesting picture already about how God's feeling about this church community. It says, you say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But do you not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? I mean, this is, this is harsh. This would be a tough email to read. Verse 18, I counsel you, then God says, to buy gold for me refined in the fire so that you could become rich. God's saying, listen, I know you're a wealthy city in your eyes, in, in the world's eyes, but you're poor to me. I want you to buy a gold that's kingdom worthy. He says, I want you to buy white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Because this, this, these linens that you're so proud that you put on, Man, they're nothing about what the kingdom's about, about what you're to be clothed in. So you can cover your shameful nakedness and put salve in your eyes so you can see. Isn't it so true that we can fall into, as churches, a blindness, a perception that we look better than what we really are? Now, 
Again, I don't have this. I'm not picking this passage this morning because ah, I'm going to rally up community church and tell them, you're lukewarm. You know, everybody, we're about to be spit out into the street of Cardinal. And, you know, I think what I'm saying this morning, isn't it something that we should feel a caution? It says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, and I stand at the door. This is Jesus and knock. Anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, eat with them. Listen, Jesus is saying, and this letter is saying, listen, stay focused on me. Our first commitment, you know, God's committed to restoration, so what's our commitment? Our first commitment is a church, as a church. As we raise our hand, we are the church, to stay focused on Jesus. Now, I want to make a comment about this, because as, as the church is to operate it, it it elects leaders, it elects elders, and, and, and we hire, similar to what they did for deacons, they, we, we hire a staff, and your Bibles, it would probably be equal in part to, to like a deacon role, to, to distribute and quick, equip the, the work of the ministry for people. So we're, we're doing this work, but it is hard work and focus to constantly to keep looking at Jesus. And not fall into we should or shouldn't. Let me explain. One of the discoveries, and I'm going to share it next week, I really recognize about me. If you grew up in a home where you didn't get a lot of approval from your parents. In fact, in my home from my father, I very rarely heard great job. So I'm a young boy trying to always earn his approval. Because of that, what I do is probably wrongly perceive the Father in heaven to think the same way, and I'm always trying to earn his approval. So you know how often I project we should and shouldn't do these things. Friends, if our Christian journey, if our church is all about the shoulds and shouldn't, we're shooting ourselves, right, all over ourselves, and we're not probably moving forward. If we're just trying to stop doing these things and start doing these things, and we live in guilt and shame, really the conversation is, let's keep walking towards Jesus. As messed up and goofy and flawed as we might be, at least we're moving towards the Father. So what, as a church, our commitment, let's stay focused on the one. The seven letters, you know what they largely are about? You forgot. You forgot what to focus on. You forgot your first love. And this is why as a church, it's difficult. Friends, it's difficult as a pastor, as church leaders, not to try to compare. Well, the church down the street does this. Well, they're getting more people because they're doing this. Oh, man, is that so hard? I think as a staff and elders and volunteers, we're, we're all struggling to try to... Wait, it's, it's on Jesus. That's our first commitment, I think, to restoration. It's not about shooting ourselves. It's, it's, it's about us staying focused on Christ himself. The second passage is out of Philemon. And this is an interesting one because, again, this is, um, many of you powered through this one chapter. Uh, and probably, our, our, I mean, it's just an interesting quick read. But we're, you know, here I'm going to pick a passage out of the letter to Philemon, which largely is most of the first 
book or the the chapter, which is pretty much the book. There you go. Paul says this, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Not only as a church body are we together a church, a fellowship in Green Bay, one of many fellowships in Green Bay, and, and we will be held accountable for our church functioning together. Make sense? How we operate as the church together is what we will be held accountable for, right? Uh, so this, in this Philemon letter, the call to restoration is, really we see that there is a partnership and connection relationally with one another. We're called to be connected. We're called to be in, in a relationship that allows us to, what, deepen the understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. There's something that goes on. So let me just stop for a moment and make mention about why it's important we're together, whether here or in a small group. You see, community church, we're not trying to create classes because we think that you guys aren't smart enough in your faith. We're not trying to add more books to the dusty shelves of doctrine that you might already have. The whole idea of relationship, the whole idea of gathering together to open up a Bible passage or to listen to a message is so that we can look eye to eye and talk about how we struggle to stay focused. Where are we struggling? What are we afraid of? What are we learning? And let the Spirit do that. Do you know your Bible is filled with with these beautiful pictures of a spiritual dynamic that when we're present with one another? That does not happen on live stream. Sorry, live stream. It's awesome that they're hearing that, and I'm glad that they stay connected wherever you are. And that's not shaming that, because many of us, I've used live stream and stay connected. But it misses the gathering. Being in a small group together or being in a group where you can be honest and authentic about yourself. There's something spiritual that goes on. And so Paul is, is appealing to this to Philemon. He says in verse 7, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. He's saying there's, there's something that goes on. So here's his plea. Therefore, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Bobby pointed this out in teaching him. It's so funny, a statement. I could just throw down, like, boom, Bible throw down. God says you're supposed to do this, right? Anybody had somebody do that? And it's not out of love? No one's raising their hand. I have. I've had a lot of people tell me that. It's, it's kind of Bible bashing. Paul's saying, well, I could do that. I could just point out where you're wrong. But look what he says in verse 9. And this is a beautiful picture of what Paul encourages most of his writings. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Friends, restoration is all about love. The path to restoration that, that God leads through the book of Hebrews is a love gift to us. The future of, revela- of, of restoration through the book of Revelation is God's love for us. A call to restoration from believers should be an act of love. 
It says it is, uh, it is as none other than Paul, and he's saying who I am or who he is, an old man and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ because he's in Rome in, in prison. And I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become both useful to you and me. Isn't that beautiful? So what's our second commitment here? Our commitment is to speak truth to one another. Probably we could put even a, a truth before this, a commitment is to gather. It's really to gather. Maybe that should have, just, just to should. See, I should it on myself right now. Um, it's our call. It's an invitation to be together. And when we're together, we have this opportunity to be honest. One of our values here to our, our, our commitments to our volunteers and our staff, it's our 12 commitments, is, is an, honest, an honesty in relationship. Friends, if, if you walk through the door and are trying to put on a shell that you have it together, that's not honest. I hope and pray that the more you walk into this place that you can take off the shell of having it together because I don't and the person next to you doesn't. There's really no one in this room that has it. They're all fine. We say that word, right? I'm fine. No, you're not. And I don't think it has to be like everybody's a wreck, but every one of us is broken and flawed. And it's why we need each other. And God left this model for us. Our commitment is to speak truth to one another. Last passage in Hebrews. Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. Again, another beautiful passage. Difficult to pick just one. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is alive and active. Okay, so I've, I've been to school. I've, I've been educated on this book. Most of my life in, in what I do in ministry is around studying this book. The mo Can I give you a, a caution? The moment you treat this as a textbook, the moment you treat this as a religious dictionary, if I just learn the answers, if I just learn the definitions, then I have it here. You have lost the very two words that the Hebrew writer is saying. It is alive and active. I am to have a relationship with the words that God is giving me. This relationship is like being inoculated with, with a shot that's going to keep me safe, right? My body is being infused with something that is going to begin to interact with the entirety of my body. Friends, the Word of God is alive and active. It's not to be sitting on a shelf of doctrine or religious thoughts. It's to change the entirety of who you are. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit. So again, this is not a shaming you or trying to make you feel guilty this morning. I'm trying to say that God left a beautiful path to, re uh, path to restoration that actually is a powerful book. I mean, this, the, the, the metaphor of a sword, I mean, a sword wasn't just to hang up on a mantle and look nice. I have a sword in my house. That sounds awkward, right? Like, why would I have a sword in my house? So people gave me, I love the movie Braveheart. It's an actual replica of William Wallace's sword. It's not sharpened, thank God, because I would have probably killed myself and many others. But 
Uh, what's a sword for? It's to fight. It's to, it's to, to hurt. It's to, uh, it's to separate. And look what it says. It's, it, will, it will divide. It penetrates the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In other words, it, it slices things into a way that things become very clear and separated. It says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes, whom we must give account. Man, this book will start to just, as you soak in it. Man, am I study break? Just soaking in the word of God through reading it, through other books that write about, friends, can I just give us permission? It's okay to read another book. It's okay to read a creative writer who's going to write a story about this. Because you're not looking at this book as a Bible. You're just looking at it as an interpretation of what God taught them. Read it. I'm actually quite fascinated by secular people who write about this book because I'm curious on how it didn't hit them. I read some of those books. I listen to worship music. Music where people wrote lyrics that come out of this book and just soaked in it. When you soak in it, it begins to clarify your thoughts, your attitudes. And man, I can just tell you, next week I'm excited to share, but just what, how God was slicing up and penetrating and, and dividing out some things in my life that I, I needed. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, this is Jesus, who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one that has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. This morning, restoration is not about approaching communion this morning with guilt and shame. You have a God that loves you and is pursuing you and says, come, come to the table. I'm inviting you as I already know you're broken. Isn't that funny? He already knows every thought. That's exposing. He already knows all your junk and says, while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. He loves us that way. He, he says, approach the throne of grace with, grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What's our last commitment? Our commitment is to pursue God's word as our ultimate guide. This book is powerful. It's not an option. In, if, if you call yourself a Christ follower, there are things that go with that that are necessary. And this morning, as we're saying, we see a future of restoration. We see the call to restoration through the body of Christ and through believers in relationship. But ultimately, we see this path of restoration that's been laid out for us. Barna's survey in 2015, the book that most comes to mind for Americans when they think of a sacred literature of, or of holiest of books. Can you guess what's most popular? Well, the Bible. I'm nearly 80% of Americans is the Bible. The Quran, contrary to what most people would say this in this modern day, is only 10%. The Torah, 7, which is the, the Jewish book. And then the Book of Mormon, 
But here's what's mystifying. If 80% say that's the most holy of books, only 8% read it once a week. That doesn't sound like it's that important. Right? It, it doesn't sound like it's a path to restoration or God giving us an alive and an active path, relationship, hope, love. It doesn't sound like that. This morning, we're going to respond this morning, and I, and I want us to, to look at, at, at John Stott's writing. It says, we must... Allow the Word of God to confront us. We need to allow this Word of God to to confront us, to disturb our security. Friends, can I just do... We we had a dinner party the other night, and I thought I'd liven up the party and said, let's talk politics. (laughs) It was awesome. Everybody was a Christian in there, and I said, how does this fit with where we're at now. You almost can't fit it. My security is not in who's elected. It'll disturb our security. It'll undermine our complacency. You, if you soak in this book, can't sit as an isolated religious person. It will undermine our complacency it will, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. Like Bobby said last week, it, it will call us like James to live differently, to apply it, to put it into practice. So what's our question this morning? As you go to communion this morning, my question to ask you, do you really trust the Bible? Do you trust 80% of what the world's saying or America's saying, it's the most of holiest book of books, but only 8% read it. That's probably my second question. If you're going to say you trust the Bible, do you read it? And if you don't, don't think I'm going to point you out and like, ah, you non-reader, poser. It's a call, it's an invitation to say, he wants you to be with him. He longs for the restoration in your life and heart. He longs for you to pick up this book that he wrote as love letters to you and I. Friends, that's our call this morning. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would draw us near to you. Might we hear the call of love and invitation to be on this path of restoration that's through your son, Jesus that's with a body of chosen sons and daughters called the church. God, and we can look forward to the future of the the completion of that restoration. Father, may we be called this morning to your word, to read it, to trust it. In Jesus' name, amen.